0: Hello, friends. Welcome. Thanks for listening. In this episode, I'm going to share a sermon that I delivered at Shaman International Christian Fellowship almost a year ago. And in the sermon, I use parts of a podcast from a guy named Jonathan Welton. I I basically quote him verbatim, but I didn't cite him, and I regret that now. But at the time, he had just been really basically publicly rebuked and taken out of ministry for inappropriate conduct with his staff. And so um, I didn't want to really go down that road, and yet I feel if I'm going to put this podcast on my podcast, I should certainly give him credit. And he's been a real blessing to me. His teachings were a real blessing to me. He kind of introduced me to the idea of preterism, and then I went on with a different scholar. Kenneth Gentry was really who I found to be um, really helpful to me. And, um, but the, where I talk about the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth and what the Bible is and the Bible as a collection of covenants, I really took that directly from Jonathan Welton. And so I I want to acknowledge that now, and I regret not acknowledging it when I originally preached the sermon, but it was just because, um, he had just kind of, um, been publicly disgraced. And I've never met him. I don't know where he is now, but my hope for him and those that he was alleged to have hurt are all restored by God's grace to a place of enjoying the abundant life of Jesus Christ. Also, um, there's another pastor who I lean on heavily in understanding the kingdom of God, and that's Miles Monroe. I don't talk about uh, Miles Monroe much because he also kind of leans toward an understanding of prosperity that I think overemphasizes material wealth. And so I talked about that in my podcast, Live Like a King, that I believe the call of God to us is to live like kings in the model of Jesus. And But when Miles Monroe talks about how the purpose of God was to have an invisible spirit and in a visible man on a visible planet to express the invisible reign of God, um, yeah, that comes from uh, Dr. Miles Monroe. So I, he has some great, great stuff on understanding the kingdom of God. But, you know, sometimes when you're giving a sermon and you quote somebody, then somebody else has a has a knee-jerk reaction to, oh, you know, how could you endorse this person? You know, just because I find I find someone's insight on one topic helpful doesn't mean that I endorse and agree with absolutely everything they say. I don't even endorse and agree with everything I say. So, of course, it's not going to be true for anyone else. So I guess in in the more public setting, uh, that's why I didn't reference these two guys because I didn't want to catch flack over other stuff. But never that wasn't right. So I wanted to uh, acknowledge uh, those two brothers' uh, contribution toward this sermon, and I regret not uh, giving them credit at the time it was recorded. But still, I think there's a lot of hopefully helpful things, helpful ideas in the sermon, and I wanted to share it with y'all. <laughs> This morning, I want to talk about three really small topics. Right, the Bible, the kingdom, and the church. And so, I don't know how much we'll have time for, um, because these are all pretty, pretty big, pretty big subjects. But um, you know, our church is—it's been a really uh, interesting couple of years that the Lord's been leading us through. And as we pray, um, the leadership prays, and I've talked to other people in the fellowship who are praying for the fellowship, we just have a sense that God is bringing us into a new season, a season of the priesthood of the believer. And that doesn't mean we're leaving behind Pastor Gabe. Uh, We still feel that Pastor Gabe is very much a part of our fellowship, that he's still our senior pastor. And we'll continue to be our senior pastor until uh, God tells everyone that it shouldn't be that way. But uh, he also feels that God is taking us into a new time and that uh, there are many, many gifted people among us and that maybe God is using this season to, uh, to help everybody grow and mature and to step into the fullness of what God is inviting us into And so I thought it might be useful just to kind of talk about some basic concepts of what we think about the Bible, what we think about the kingdom of God, and what we think about the church. And my goal this morning is not to overpower anyone and to say that everyone has to agree with me and everybody has to think the way that I think. Everyone is powerful to choose for yourselves what you think. You don't have to agree with me. Uh, I could be wrong. And so the better thing to do would be that we just test everything that comes from any source by uh, God's word. And we take it and we allow the Holy Spirit to lead each of us. And we each go before the Lord with whatever idea we have about God or the Bible or the church. And he's he's the one who communes with us, that each believer has the spirit of God living inside of you so even in first john he says you don't need anyone to teach you because you have an anointing that teaches you that we all have access to the spirit of god and so my goal is not to make you agree with me but just to present some ideas that you can take before the lord and see um, whether or not these things will be useful in helping you walk with with jesus and helping you be his instrument here on the earth so let's pray together and then we'll look at some uh, some of these ideas. Father God, you're so good, and there's no way our little minds can uh, comprehend how how wonderful and how excellent and how good you are. God, we're so small. We're so limited but in your kindness, Lord, you've shown us your majesty. You've shown us glimpses of your beauty and your excellence. Thank you, Lord. I pray, God, that when we see those things, that we would turn aside like Moses when he saw the burning bush. It caught his attention and he turned aside. Father, I pray that when we catch those glimpses, of your beauty and your majesty, we'd be willing to stop and turn aside and pause and, and just enjoy how wonderful you are. God, every lie that has, made it has, has stood up against your truth, we pray that it would come down in Jesus' name. God, and I pray that uh, the things I share this morning would be helpful for people to see how wonderful and how good you are, and that you will get all the glory because you deserve it all. pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, Before I get started and kind of at the risk of seeming a little self-promotional, I wanted to share some resources that I found really valuable. Uh, The first one is a book by F.F. Bruce called The Books and the Parchments. And it's it's kind of a it's a very accessible book, but it's a little bit academic. It's pretty deep. He goes into how we got the Bible in its current form today, and that's really useful if you you know if you're if you're in a place of wondering, you know, are the scriptures reliable? Everyone, you know, at church, everyone's preaching from the Bible. We go back to the Bible as our authority, and and this book talks about the process of how we came to have our English Bible in our hands today. And it's very uh, it's very interesting. It's a fascinating process. And it actually, uh, I think, will give you greater confidence in the Bible. I think uh, the Bible stands the test of any rigorous, honest, academic inquiry into whether or not it's a reliable transmission of what uh, people receive from God. The second one is a podcast, and I couldn't find a good image of it, so that's just a screenshot, but by Andy Stanley called "The Bible for Grown- Ups." And that's a um, kind much more surface level introduction than the FF. Bruce book is. but it's just a, it's a four-hour podcast. well, it's probably not even that. It's four 40-minute talks, and if you listen to it on double speed, that's only 20 minutes. so you can do the whole thing in like an hour, an hour and a half. But it's really interesting, too, and that's super accessible. It's really entertaining, really fun to listen to. And so that might be a good place to start, again, if you're interested in where the Bible came from. Why do we have these manuscripts? How were they put together? How did they make their way to us? And then on the other two topics, um, I would offer my own podcast. I have a series on there called Christ, Kingdom, and Covenant. And what I do in that series is I talk about these words Christ, kingdom, and covenant that we generally don't use outside of church. And and anytime we have a word that we don't use much outside of church, there becomes a danger that we don't really know what it means, because the only time we use it is in this very specific context. And so in my podcast, I dig deep into what is a Christ? What is a covenant? What is a kingdom? And uh, maybe that will be useful for you. But let's start this morning uh, talking about the Bible. And you know, there's a lot of, um, I mean, the Bible is so important. There's so much to be said about the Bible, right? So the Bible has 66 books. It was written by over 40 different authors, over 1,500 years of time coming together. The word Bible comes from the Latin word Biblia, which means books. So it's a, a collection of books that have come to us, um, passed down through the centuries. And the way we approach it, I think, is really important because it affects our expectations when we begin to read the Bible. And so I know that well-meaning people and, and people who love me and who wanted the best for me, they said things to me about the Bible that uh, gave me certain expectations. So, you know, some people might say to me, well, the Bible is your basic instructions before leaving earth, right? The B-I-B-L-E. Like This is the book that's going to tell you what to do before you leave earth. Uh, or some people said, this is God's love letter to you, right? Okay, or, you know, at, at times in my life, people would present the Bible as a, uh, a road map. This is a map of how you should live your life. But each of those kind of creates this expectation that, um, <laughs> like if I'm doing kind of Bible roulette, you know, It's like, okay, these are my basic instructions before leaving earth. And I come and I go, okay, Uh, if any of you has a rebellious son, you should take him to the gate and stone him. I'm like, oh, no. (laughs) Wait a second. Like, are these my basic instructions before leaving earth? And I turn over a few pages and it says, you know, if you have a rash on your body, go and present yourself to the priest. And I go, oh, man, are these my instructions? And. Where's my priest and what is going on? And so I want to present a framework for understanding the Bible that maybe will be helpful. Maybe it won't. Again, you don't have to agree with me. It's okay. But the Bible, here's here's a thought for you. The Bible is a collection of covenants. And each time God made a covenant, there would be a canon of literature that went with that covenant. So, uh, you know, I know we talk about New Testament and Old Testament, and that word testament actually comes from the Greek word covenant that got translated into Latin testamento, and then the King James translators decided to use that word in English as testament. But really it's talking about the, testament, uh, the covenant. And so, but the Bible has more than just two covenants. It's more than just the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Bible actually has five covenants in it. So there's God's covenant with Noah, there's God's covenant with Abraham, God's covenant with David, uh, God's covenant with Moses and the people of Israel, and the new covenant that Jesus makes that uh, Brother Pete referred to this morning in communion. And so the Bible is a collection of these covenants. And each time people in the ancient world made a covenant with one another, they would write down the history behind the covenant, why they were making the covenant, they would write down the terms of the covenant, and then sometimes they would put in some, some cultural um, representations of, of both sides of the covenant, so like some poetry or some music or some art from that covenant. And so when uh, in the ancient world, if two tribes or two chiefs or two kings made a covenant together, they'd write out the terms of the covenant and the history, and they'd take the covenant, and they'd put it in a box. Sounds a little familiar, right? And then each tribe would take the box back to their God that they served, and they would say, if I don't obey my terms of the covenant, my God will punish me. And if you don't obey your terms of the covenant, your God will punish you. And that's really interesting to understand because when God comes to Israel and he makes a covenant with them and they put it in a box and they take it back, now you see God playing two roles in the covenant. Because the covenant is not only with God, he's their covenant partner, but he's also their God that's going to punish them if they don't keep the covenant. And that's really fascinating to think about. Because sometimes what happens if if we do the, the Bible roulette or if we think, you know, all the scripture is um, you know, it's all my basic instructions before leaving earth and we drill down on, on one verse. It can be very easy to to, to get lost. It's like, ha, have you ever used Google Earth? You know, like if you zoom in on, let's say that we zoomed in on the top of this building, full, full blast, as close as Google Earth could get us. Well, it would just be the roof of this building. And, and if you looked at it out of context, you would have no idea what you were looking at. But if we zoomed out a little bit, you'd be like, oh, there's the church building. You zoom out a little bit, you're like, oh. There's the police station and you zoom out and there's Shaman Island and you zoom out a little bit more, there's China and there's the whole world. And sometimes our approach to the Bible is like that. Or, you know, if you walked up to a really famous painting and you got really close, you would be like, what does this what does this color mean? Why is it red here? Why? Ah But then you back up a little bit, you're like, oh, it's part of a bigger, it's part of a bigger picture. And sometimes we do that with the Bible, we get so close, we're like, why, why on earth would God have the Israelites go and kill all these other tribes? Why, why would God do that? But we back up a little bit, we get a little bit of context, and we realize, well, gee whiz, back here, God said that he, they weren't even going to have to fight. God said that the bee and the hornet would drive out the peoples before the people of Israel. Israel. And you start to see, well, gee, maybe it wasn't God's intent after all. Maybe it had something to do with the behavior of the Israelites. That God was their covenant partner and God was going to be faithful to their, his covenant with them. And so when they began to make war, God was faithful to his covenant. But from the beginning in every single covenant, what we see is an intention of God to bless the whole earth. That God's intention over and over and over is to bless and to do good, and to prosper people. And so God calls out Abraham, this this man in the Old Testament, and says, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations. And so the the nation of Israel comes through Abraham, and Jesus says something really interesting to the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He says, salvation is from the Jews. And so God has set apart this one people group, with the intention of saving everybody. Why was it so important for the Jews to be so protected, to be so set apart, to have so many laws? Because he was bringing salvation to the whole earth through them. And so we back up a little bit and we begin to see, oh, this is what God was doing. This is what was happening in, in this covenant and that covenant. You know, And the other thing is it, it can be really confusing if we try, so what these dots represent, the dark dot in the middle is the covenant, and then the circle around it is what we could call the canon that goes with the covenant. And so the probably by volume-wise, the biggest covenant we have is the Mosaic Covenant, where God calls out the people of Israel from Egypt, and he gives them the law, and then they begin to develop this canon all around Moses, uh, the covenant that came through Moses. But If we're living in the new covenant, which we are, we have to be really wise about what we do with the canons, with the scriptures from the old covenants, the older covenants. One of the things F.F. Bruce says in that book is he says uh, God's revelation is progressive, but it's not corrective, which I thought was brilliant that the, the revelation of God gets clearer and clearer and clearer until we get to Jesus and we see the fullness of what God is like in the person of Jesus. But, he says, but it's not corrective. God's not saying, oh, this was wrong, and now I have to correct it over here. What God gave before was perfect, and it was right in its time, but it gets brighter and brighter and brighter. And so in the Old Covenant, we get things like we, we know that God has his temple in Jerusalem, or the 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 tabernacle of meeting, where they started, and they call that the house of the Lord, and they go to meet God at His temple. But sometimes, because it's all you know, it's all part of the same book, so we we we're, we're sometimes inclined to think, oh well, this applies to you know, this applies to us now, and and I understand. I'm not trying to to be difficult or or to be uh, picky, but you know, we 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 keep some of this language, so we're we're tempted to call the church building the house of the Lord. But this isn't God's house, right? This is just a building where we come together and meet. God did have a house in the old covenant. And so the Psalms that talk about, oh, let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us go and meet with our God. Those were correct and proper for that time. But now where is the house of God? This can be our audience participation time. Now what's the house of God? Wherever you are, the church. Yeah, what's the church? The church is not this building, right? The church is us, that you are living stones being built into a living house. We are the, in, the, the indwelt temple of God. Now God lives on the inside of us. If you need to find God during the week, you shouldn't come to Fu and knock on the door and say, God, are you home? This is not God's house. He doesn't live here. If you're a believer, he lives on the inside of you. If you're not a believer... Become one, and then God will live on the inside of you. So if we if we maybe approach the scripture understanding that this is a collection of inspired, authoritative, I'm not trying to take anything away from the Bible. I am totally comfortable using the highest descriptions. This is a hymnal, by the way. I just grabbed it because it's up here. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> I'm told <laughs> Pete knew, he could tell. I'm totally comfortable using whatever descriptions we want. Inerrant, I'm fine with inerrancy. Inspired, yes, that's all fine with me. Authoritative, absolutely. I'm not trying to say that this isn't important. It's really important. But Hebrews says that the old covenants have become obsolete. And so we have to understand in 1 Corinthians, he talks about these things were written down for our instruction in the Old Testament. So yes, we receive instruction from the Old Testament. Yes, we we learn from the mistakes of Old Covenant saints. But we have to understand that we live in the New Covenant and that it's not all our basic instructions for leaving earth. Thank God that if any of my children are rebellious, I don't take them to the elders and say, this child is rebellious, he's a drunk and a glutton, and now we're all going to stone him to death. My children are very grateful that that's not the way it is. None of my children are... Gluttons are drunkards, by the way. So. But thank God it's not that way anymore. And critics of the Bible who, who want to say, oh, you know, this is such a barbaric, uh, whatever, all the accusations that they would level against the Scripture, they don't understand. They simply don't understand. And what's more, they don't take time to see the meta-narrative that's happening Over the 1,500 years that the Bible was put together, this amazing unfolding story that all through the Old Testament, God's saying, there's going to be a a new king. He's going to reign forever. He's going to bring the kingdom to you guys. He's going to bring blessing. He's going to bring restoration. And then the story stops at the end of the Old Testament, at the end of the Old Covenant. And then Jesus shows up, and he fulfills. He says, I haven't come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. And Jesus fulfills everything written in the old covenant. And he says, now I'm making a new covenant with you. Hebrews says, now that Jesus has made a new covenant, the old one is obsolete. So I hope that's helpful for somebody to think about how you approach the scripture and how we approach the Bible to to recognize that uh, it's not all applicable anymore. <laughs> and I know that that's, that may be a stretch, but, but I would go back to the example of the dietary laws or, or to stoning your children when, they, when they're rebellious. That, that now we live in a, a time of grace. You know what the, the old covenant remedy for adultery was? It was to stone the person. The new covenant remedy for adultery is grace. Grace. That where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. The grace, the power of God to forgive your sin, to set you free from sin. Does that make sense? Okay, no response. Okay, thank you. Good, it makes sense to Rawson. That's good. I was really glad that the five and ten-year-olds were staying today. Somebody will learn something, hopefully. That's good. Okay, let's talk about uh, the kingdom for a minute. Because with the new covenant, what Jesus, the, the good news according to Jesus is that the kingdom of God is close to us. The kingdom of God is near. Let me read out of uh, Mark chapter 1. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the gospel, according to Jesus, was this. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Gospel, probably most of us know, is a word that means good news. For for most of my Christian life, I thought the kingdom of God was heaven. And so... Uh, There were so many things I didn't understand. But uh, gratefully, happily, someone pointed out to me, the kingdom of God is not heaven. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus has his reign. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. It's the dominion of the king. It's the king's domain. It's his kingdom. And so Jesus said, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, the kingdom of God has come among you. He he told us that we should pray that his kingdom comes and his will is done on earth the way that it's done in heaven. And so God's will is for his kingdom to fill the whole earth. Now, if we're familiar with earthly kings who want their kingdom to fill the whole earth, that's a very frightening thought because earthly kings are corrupt and bad, (laughs) But when you have a king as wonderful, as good as Jesus, who just loves people, who just wants the very best for everyone, who wants everyone to thrive and to flourish, that his kingdom would fill the whole earth, would be the very best thing for every single person on the planet. And that's what he wants. That the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would fill the whole earth the way that waters cover the sea. God wants everyone, let's you know, going back to the, the meta-narrative, the main narrative of the Bible, the whole reason God created a visible world was to show in the material realm how wonderful he is, how good he is. He created this amazing visible world. God's a spirit. He's invisible. He creates a visible world to have a demonstration of how awesome and how good he is. He puts a man on, uh, on the world as his representative, to have dominion on the earth. He makes him in his image. He says, I want you to be as I am on this earth, to to exercise my domain, to care for it, basically to love it and to take care of it. And he gives the people a choice. You can do that with my life on the inside of you through the tree of life, or you can decide for yourselves, and you can make a choice what you think is right and what you think is wrong, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And humanity makes a choice. They say, well, I don't think we really need your life in us. I think we'll do it on our own. I think we'll, we'll try and decide what's good and what's bad. And God warned them, right? He said, in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. But they make that choice anyway. And that is why there's so much brokenness and pain and sin in the world. That was never God's intention. Never God's intention for sickness and starvation and deprivation to be part of his creation. So why on earth would God allow a system that would be capable of so much brokenness? C.S. Lewis writes about this really amazingly in, in one of his essays in Mere Christianity. But he talks about that uh, this is the price of having someone be free to love or not to love. That if, if you want someone to love you, they have to be free not to love you. And if God is the source of all life, and if God is the source of all goodness, the only other choice that there is, is death. And so because love doesn't insist on its own way, First Corinthians chapter 13 tells us that love doesn't make people do what it wants. It gives people a choice. And so... God let them have a choice because he loved them. God lets you have the very same choice. That the God of the universe honors you so deeply and honors me so deeply is amazing to me. He honors us so much by allowing us to choose. You can serve me or you cannot. But know this, he's the source of life. (laughs) So if you reject the source of life, the only thing that's left is death. So God sees the brokenness, man chooses to rebel, man chooses to take the knowledge of good and evil, and ever since, that's how mankind lives. That's why in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, don't be like the Gentiles anymore in the futility of their thinking. That that's how Gentiles make decisions. They look, at a, they look at something and they say, hmm, is that good or is that evil? Uh, I think I'll do this. and. What's frightening to me is the worst choices that humanity makes is when we think we're doing something good. Like if you talk to any terrorist, whoever did anything to harm people, they would be convinced in their heart that they were doing a good thing. This was a good thing that I did. If you talk to to Hitler or to, to any dictator, they would be saying, no, what I'm doing is right. What I'm doing is good. And this is what happens when we try to decide for ourselves what's good and what's evil, is we begin to call the things that are evil good and the things that are good evil. My wife and I were counseling a family, and they had four children, and um, they were they were uh, they they were from here, and they were in difficult financial circumstances, and she got pregnant with number five. And my wife and I were saying. What a blessing! Congratulations! This is going to be great! And everyone else in their life... Uh, somehow the sermon got edited right there. I don't know exactly who was uh, behind that, but um, basically what I said is everyone else in their life said that that was bad, that she got pregnant. Everyone else in their life said, like, this is a curse. This isn't a good thing. And, and, and that's just the opposite of what God would say. God would, God would be rejoicing. I've blessed you with these five beautiful children. And the thought of killing one of them, that's wicked. But the world says, no, that's right. That's good. Yeah, go ahead. And that's, that, that will be inconvenient for you. That will be a burden for you. And so we see the, the brokenness and the sinfulness that comes from humanity trying to choose for themselves what's right and what's wrong. And so Jesus comes and he brings the kingdom of God To this earth. The good news of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is near to each one of you. Each person can live under the reign of Jesus. Did you see that the gospel was not, if you don't want to go to hell, pray this prayer and you can spend eternity with God. That was not the gospel that Jesus was preaching. Jesus was saying, let your life come under my reign. You can have the opportunity for me to be your king. That was the gospel of Jesus. I'll be your king. And people who see clearly, Jesus told parables about it. He said, the kingdom of God is like a precious treasure. Someone finds it in a field and they sell everything they have so that they can get the treasure. Man, someone who sees Jesus clearly says, Jesus will be my king. Jesus will rule over me. Yes! I want that. I want Jesus to be my king. Thank you, God. You're willing to rule over me and direct my life. Thank you, Lord. But other people see that and they go, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> I think I kind of I'm kind of interested in going to heaven, but this whole Jesus being my king business, I don't know. <laughs> and it's just because they're living in the in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they still think that they're better than Jesus at determining what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong. It's funny that that people would be interested in going to heaven but not be interested in obeying Jesus as king. That doesn't make sense. Like, heaven is heaven because God's will is done perfectly there. Right? These people who think heaven is heaven because, like, heaven's going to be like a great day of fishing. (laughs) I'm just like, that's so wrong. (laughs) Like, no. Like, what if you hate fishing? (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) that's just not right. So it's like, oh, well, heaven's like a great day of fishing, you know. Don't you want to follow Jesus so you can fish for all eternity? There's <laughs> just something messed up about that. Heaven is heaven because God reigns there. And once you see how good God is, it's not hard to, to surrender to his reign. Yeah? All right. So that brings us to the church. And this is, this is really important because this is where we're headed as a fellowship to understand that, uh, you know, as fun as it is to come together on Sunday mornings and to spend time together, that this this right here is the church meeting, and it's nice and it's good, but this is not really the full expression of the church. Like, if we reduce what we think church is is to a gathering of people, we've really missed what Jesus had in mind. So the words that Jesus first used for the church was the same word that a political party would be, that, that would be used. So like in America, we have Republicans and Democrats. You know, in China, they have the Communist Party. Well, this would be like the Jesus Party, the party that wants Jesus to be king, that wants the Jesus government. And he's like, you guys will be my, my representatives on the earth representing the government of Jesus. I heard a, I heard a story this week of a lady who's involved in Eden ministries and she's like man I love Eden I love I love going out and and ministering to people and sharing God's love with them but church is so boring <laughs> i was like i was like yeah i know like if this is like if if all the church is about is about getting together and and having bible study i mean bible study's good but the the purpose of bible study is to Help us know God and to help us be the body of Christ on the earth, right? And so the church is supposed to be the expression of Jesus' body on the earth, going out and caring for people. Like, that's so much more exciting than this meeting. I love the meeting. You guys know. Like, I'm here. I'm happy to be here. I love coming here. I love worshiping and singing with you guys. I love hearing the word. I love meeting people from all over the world who have encountered Jesus but God wants to use this to build us up, to go out and to be something more than just a collection of people who meet on Sundays. And this is where we feel like God's taking us to be the priesthood of the believers. It's not about raising up. Like, there's not even enough Sundays in the year for everyone to get up and, and preach. The, 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 the time that happens here from whatever, 1130 to 12, is not the ministry of the saints Ephesians chapter 4, I think it's verse 12, says that this is to equip the saints to go and do the work of the ministry, which is to represent Jesus to the world. And so when when Brother Stephen goes to his workplace and he's, you know, taking care of all these kiddos and loving them and, and expressing the life of Jesus to them or, you know, whatever situation that you go to work in or wherever you go to school, that you're the expression of the body of Christ. You're the expression of Jesus to the people you're around. That's what the church is, yeah? That's what, that's like actually kind of interesting. Like, I don't blame people for thinking church meetings can be boring. I hope you're not bored right now. I'm really sorry if you are. But, uh, yeah, sometimes church meetings are are, are are boring. What was it? um I can't remember but a few weeks ago Hudson was Hudson was just being really honest with me Hudson's my youngest son he's eight he's like dad that last song didn't sound good at all (laughs) he's like that last song I was like oh what's going on I was like thanks Hudson for that feedback no one else will tell me that so it's good to have someone in your house who will be like oh dad that was really bad you know Ooh, probably should practice that one some more But, yeah, like coming and sitting in these rows and whatever, that is not the fullness of what Jesus is inviting us to. Jesus is inviting us to learn how to walk and step with the Spirit that every moment of every day, like uh, Brother Stephen said, I need the every nanosecond, every microsecond. I just want to be aware of what God's doing and what he's doing around me and participate with him. And that's what the church is called to be. We're not just a meeting, guys. We're the expression of the body of Jesus on the earth. Yeah? Okay, praise the Lord. Let's take a moment and uh respond to the Father and just just hold our lives before him. Maybe, maybe you uh if if you were from a background like me, maybe you just grew up hurt kind of understanding the gospel as, well, I don't want to go to hell when I die, so I'll I'll pray and receive Jesus. But I want to invite you to respond to the gospel that Jesus preached that the kingdom of God is near and that you can make Jesus your king and he can rule in your life. And I want to invite you to be part of the church that says I'm going to become the expression of Jesus to every kid who gets on my boat to every kid. I take camping. I'm going to be the expression of Jesus That is for Paul, by the way, he takes kids boating and camping, (laughs) but for wherever you are with your with your fellow classmates, with the other grad students, with the kids in class, whatever situation you're in, that you say, I wanna be part of that. I don't just wanna come to meetings on Sunday and have that be my Christianity. I wanna be involved in the kingdom of God spreading all over the earth so that everyone can see how good God is. So let's take a minute. Jennifer, would you mind just playing softly? Thanks so much. Let's just take a couple minutes and respond to the Father. If that's if that's resounding in your heart, just respond and say, Father, I want to be that. I want to be the expression of Jesus. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for including us in your kingdom. God, that you have made us to be a royal family, that we're your children, we're your sons and your daughters, we're Children who have been given authority to administrate your kingdom on your behalf, to come and to show the world how good you are, how wonderful you are, how kind you are, how generous you are. God, there's nobody like you. God, you're not counting our sin against us. Everything we've ever done wrong, everything we've ever done that's offended you, displeased you, disappointed you, you nailed it to the cross. And Jesus took it on himself so that we could live in your kingdom, so that we could be in fellowship with you. Thank you so much, Father. God, we offer our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. We pray, Lord, that our bodies would be the instrument you use to build your kingdom in shaman. Lord, we offer our bodies to you, and we say, build your kingdom in shaman through us, through our bodies. Thank you so much for being so good and so awesome, God. We love you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Man, if you have any questions or you want to talk about anything, feel free to come talk to me and you are dismissed. And every breeze that blows... In every stream that flows, we hear Your tenderness. In every star that glows, in every cell that grows, it's clear Your excellence, God, Your beauty.